Well, hey, my name is Hunter. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence. If it's your uh, very first time visiting us, thank you for taking a chance. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, today is a special Sunday because not only do we have these discipleship presentations and water baptisms, but it's also a combined family service. It is Sunday fun day. So our kindergarten through fifth graders, Kids City, are going to stay right here in the auditorium along with our Spanish-speaking congregation and New Reality. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, because it's such a special day, I thought we would uh, start off with a little game this morning. Uh, we have any anybody who loves Jenga? Oh, yeah, we got a Jenga tower, and uh, I need some assistance. I need a couple volunteers. I'm thinking of, you know, maybe a third grader or a fourth grader or a fifth grader. All right, Wesley Root, come on down, come on down. And then uh, who else is coming? Any other hands? All right, come on down, bro. You didn't, no, sorry, you didn't raise your hand. Your brother goes first. Come on up. Come on down, come on down. What's up, dude? Good to see you, man. Come on down, guys. We're going to play a little Jenga tower, all right? So come on over, come on over. Don't be shy. What I need you to do is grab these blocks, and I kind of got the base going here, but you're just going to alternate. So if it's going this way, you go that way. You've done this before, right? All right, good deal. So stack it as high as you can, all right? And uh, if you need some help, we got a little step stool over here if you need it. Uh, while they're getting started, uh, busy building this tower, um, I want to tell you a little bit about where we are in our study of God's Word. A couple weeks ago, we started this brand new sermon series called The Story of God, Genesis Episodes. Can everybody say that? Story of God. Genesis episodes. And so we're kind of working through the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, which of course means beginnings. And uh, this is an effort for us to, to learn how God's story connects with our story. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapters 1 through 3, and uh, we saw that uh, the story we believe will shape the life we lead. Uh, we looked at Adam and Eve being created in the garden and the fall and, and, and realized that the stories we believe, the narratives we choose to follow, greatly form our hearts, our minds, and our loves and longings. Uh, and then last week, Emmanuel did a great, great job talking about Genesis chapters 6 through 9. This, of course, is uh, the flood account of Noah and the ark. Anybody remember that message from last week? Great, great message. And uh, Emmanuel said that because God is good, we can put our trust and rest in him. The name Noah means rest, and we can actually find our rest, even in the middle of the floods and difficulties of our lives. Uh, and this week, we are going to turn the page in the story and look at Genesis chapters 10 through 12. And we're going to look at the table of nations, the tower of Babel, and the call of Abram. The table of nations, the tower of Babel, and the call of Abram. In fact, you can go ahead and meet me in Genesis chapter 10. You can scroll over in your device, Genesis chapter 10, or meet me in your Bible if you brought one. All right. Well done. Good job, Babs. You got one now. Yeah, you do. With your name engraved on it. it says Barbara Swagstar Isaac. Uh, just kidding. Barbara Babs Isaac. All right. How are we doing? All right. We're shy one. Speaking of towers, well done. Well done, boys. All right. Now we're going to do a little competition. Are you ready? So what we're going to do, go over there, Wesley, go next to him. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to compete to see who can pull out the most blocks without it falling over. And uh, we got a little prize on the line here. That's right. We got some Krispy Kreme 
donuts. Come on. So here's how it works. If you make the tower fall over, I get the donuts. If I make the tower fall over, you get the donuts. All right, so basically, if I get the donuts, if I get the donuts, my wife is mad. If you get the donuts, your parents will be mad at me. Uh, and we got to watch the waistline. The winter, winter months are coming. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to, you play Jenga before, you're going to grab one at a time. And I'll, I'll start us off here, just see which one we got. Oh my goodness, y'all did a good job. Got it, there we go. All right, uno mas. All right, you go. Y'all can alternate taking turns. We can get a little music going in the background. Got a little Jenga tower. Oh, yeah, we got to stack them up. That's right. That's right. Well, oh, man, y'all are going two at a time. Oh, my goodness. All right. Let's see here. What do you got? All right, that's pretty good. Who has their money on these boys right here? Who thinks they're going to win? Make some noise. All right. Who thinks I will win? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> boo? Oh, come on. You can be quiet. You don't have to boo me. Jeez. Good for my confidence. Thanks so much. All right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I'm getting nervous here. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Nice. Bada boom. Bada bang. Krispy Kreme donuts on the line. This is no game. How you doing, boys? All right, who's going to, oh, I'm going to start from the base here. Oh, we got from the base. Stack it. All right. Oh, you're going to take that one. Woo. Let's see what you got. See what you got. Oh, good job, bro. That was a good one. All right. Let's see here. Man, I am sweating so much right now. Which It's getting a little wobbly. Got to find the soft spots. What's it going to be? That's good. That's good. That's good. Ooh, I got an easy one right there. Oh, oh, oh. I'm undefeated in Jenga, by the way. I don't know if I told you that. My nephews cry every Christmas. Just show no mercy. That way, when they actually beat me, they'll know. They've really won. Whoo! Okay, we are getting close here, folks. We're getting close. Oh, no. Okay. Ha, 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 Mr. West, Mr. West, what you got? The tower. That was good. That was good. That was good. We got, let's see here, I think. Bada boom, bada bing, baby. What? Bro, you're cheating. Do you need a step stool? You, that's all right. Here. You got it? Okay. Tag team, tag team. We're getting higher. This is good. Bam, baby. All right. I feel like we're getting to the final final few here. What do you got? Ooh. Me no le gusta. All right. Oh. Steph Curry. Night, night. Oh, my gosh. Wow, Wesley. It's got the Midas touch. Okay. All right. Here we go here. Here we go. Oof. 
daddy. Let's see here. Now there's two ways you can play this. You can play if you touch it, you have to take it. Or you can get a mo Daddy? Oh. Oh, man. Well done, boys. Well done. Enjoy your spoils. Good job. Oh, man. Lord, how mercy. All right. Okay. Yeah, don't share. Don't share. This is not the time to share. Keep them for yourself. Just also don't eat them in service. All right. Have you found Genesis chapter 10 yet? If it's your first time at church this morning, you're like, what is happening here? Uh, please, if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Genesis chapter 10. We're talking about a table, a tower, and a call of Abram. Beginning in Genesis chapter 10, starting at the last verse of Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. It says, these are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Last passage for your reading, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. If you are uh, taking notes this morning, and I, I hope that you are, I'd like to title this message, Settled, Scattered, Sent. Settled, scattered, sent. Now, if you're a parent of an elementary age student this morning, you can go ahead and raise your hand 
in the air if you're uh, K through 5th, if you've got a kiddo K through 5th, and our ushers are making their way down the aisle. They have some crayons and coloring sheets, and uh, they'll let them take notes as well this morning of their own. And uh, this morning, I want to begin our study of this text by looking at a table. Uh, now, the table that I'm talking about isn't the sort of wooden, four-legged piece of furniture you find in your dining room. Uh, no, this is more like a family tree. And this family tree focuses on three of Noah's sons. Uh, number one, Shem, number two, Ham, and number two, Japheth. Now, uh, reading about the descendants of Shem and Ham and Japheth is about as entertaining as reading a phone book, uh, which I realize is now a dated reference. And uh, though it's boring to read now, trust me, trust me, trust me, it becomes very, very important for the story and the pages to come. This genealogy isn't ordered the way we think of genealogies today, kind of a sequential generation after generation, descendant after descendant. No, it's not linear, rather. Uh, It's highly selective and segmented. Uh, The writer of the book of Genesis chose to intentionally pull out special figures, some of which are from the same generation, and he did this to identify political, geographic, and ethnic groups. So in Genesis chapter 10, this is not an exhaustive list of every person in the family or even of every nation on earth, but uh, rather it's an intentional and beautiful account of all the ethnicities of the world. Tragically, though, verses like one found just a chapter prior in Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, have been ripped out of their cultural context, twisted into a distorting hall of mirrors, and used to shame and maim our melanin-rich brothers and sisters. Uh, the so-called curse of Ham, found in Genesis chapter 9, depicts Noah's disdain for his youngest son, Ham, who walked in on him exposed rather than covering him honorably in his tent as his older brothers did. This text was used less than two centuries ago by preachers who looked a lot like me in the antebellum south to support the atrocities of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, The reasoning went that uh, since Ham was cursed to a life of servitude and since Ham's name meant black, then it must also mean that black bodies today should still be enslaved. A gentleman named Patrick Mell, the fourth president of the Southern Baptist Convention, put it this way in the middle of the 19th century. From Ham were descended the nations that occupied the land of Canaan and those that now constitute the African or Negro race. Their inheritance, according to prophecy, has been and will continue to be slavery. And so long as we have the Bible, we expect to maintain it. Lord have mercy. While I don't have time today to debunk the abominable eisegesis that made such a miserable misreading of God's holy word possible, it must be noted that Ham was not cursed, but only one of his four descendants, Canaan, was cursed. Moreover, it must also be noted that Ham does not mean black or dark, never has, never will. It simply means warm or hot. And lastly, as one commentator put it so well, Noah's curse of Canaan was due to his sinful conduct, not his skin color. The Canaanites were cursed because they were evil-hearted, not because they were dark-skinned. 
in stellar contrast to the baptized, racist imagination of white supremacists, Genesis 10 is a multifaceted mosaic of the multiple tribes, ethnicities, and languages that compose the one unified family of God showing how all the people of the world come from Noah. They are all made in God's image, and thus they are all equal before God. And now, 2,000 years later, thanks to a Palestinian man who died on a tree in our place, we say as we do in this lobby, we are all one in Christ Jesus. The table of nations celebrates a common origin and a common humanity. As beautiful as this diverse design was, is, and will be, it eventually was divided and dispersed in time and space. The table would become compromised by a tower. Genesis 11, verse 1 reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed upon the face of the whole earth. As Adam and Eve were driven east from the garden, so too these people of the earth head east as well. The people are moving on from God's presence and promise. Rather than being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth as God first instructed Adam and Eve to do, these sons of Adam and Eve begin to settle down and insulate, to self-protect and self-preserve. This, of course, is the natural tendency of all people groups with seemingly little to gain and much to lose. I'm only 29 now, but I've noticed that the natural inertia of life has this troubling tendency of making us stagnant, of pulling in, of withdrawing, of settling down rather than being sent out as God always intended. And as these people settle, they begin to construct ziggurats. Now, the ziggurat was an ancient pyramid-like structure. It had Stairs that led to the top where there was a platform where they would make a room and even put food on the top of the tower so that the gods could descend and bless them and protect them and watch over their territory. Uh, it was a way of building a temple so that they could get the gods' services. One commentator put it this way, uh, the ziggurat would have been built so that God could come down into their midst to be worshipped and bring blessing with him. God indeed came down to see, but rather than being pleased at their provision of this convenience, he was distressed by the people's fall into paganism. Do you see what's happening here? Uh, the people of God are now beginning to act like all the other pagan nations around them, uh, thinking that they can make a way to God when really God wanted to make a way to them. Now, it must be noted that this uh, technology, and it's hard for us to think of technology uh, in the form of bricks, right? Like we think of cell phones and laptops and digital media, but uh, the brick was a form of ancient technology, much like the wheel or the hammer um, or one of those objects that was created to uh, leverage human power so that they didn't have to work as hard. 
this technology of making bricks wasn't bad. Uh, God had told Adam and Eve to fill the earth, subdue it, multiply, uh, take dominion, progress, advance into the good world that I had made. Uh, God had always intended to create not just a garden, but a garden city to be a place his people could call home. Uh, It wasn't bricks that were the problem. It was Babylon, the city whose name comes from the root Babel. Everybody say that, Babel. This is the city which was famous for ziggurats. This is the city whose citizens lived in defiant opposition to God, which is living life on your own terms, living apart from the direction of God, living apart from the leading and the ruling and the reigning of the maker of the heavens and the earth. This is a life that's devoid of the divine. While cities are often criticized for being uh, moral wastelands, void of God's presence and full of sin and squalor, uh, it must be noted that God is not opposed to cities. He's opposed to sin. He's opposed to a life that lives in defiance to his vision for human flourishing. We must pause and note that as we live today in the city of Denver, that uh, there is more image of God square foot in this city than other places around the world. This is even more true today than uh, when this story was first written. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, in 2008, for the very first time in human history, this is 2008, 15 years ago, more than 50% of the world's population officially lives in cities. In fact, the percentage of city dwellers is projected to swell to more than 70% by 2050, less than two decades away. We've experienced uh, unprecedented population growth in this town as well. Uh, Denver Metro has doubled in growth over the past three decades from one and a half million in 1990 to nearly three million people who now call the Mile High City home. How amazing is that? That's impressive, of course, but uh, not when you compare our population to that of emerging megacities across the globe. Uh, just this Friday, I was hanging out with Ephraim, and uh, we were talking about Nigeria, Kenya, his, his home city, uh, where he just and his family, the Boku family, just migrated to the U.S. from. And uh, believe it or not, Nairobi has experienced 4% population growth every year for the last four years. For reference, in 1950, the population of Nairobi was 137,456. Fast forward 70 years later, and Nairobi is now home to 4.7 million people in 2019 and is set to become a megacity by 2050 with an expected population of over 10 million souls. Over the course of the next 15 years, though, the number of city dwellers living in slums and abject poverty is expected to double as well. Caracas in Venezuela, Kumbinda in Congo, Lahore in Pakistan, shout out to the Rahils. These represent just some of the fastest growing cities in the world, and they represent just some of the places where the people of Providence themselves have been dispersed over the place of the planet. By God's grace, they have been driven right into our backyard. And now, by God's grace, we have the honor, we have the privilege, we have the responsibility of undoing the curse of Babel through the power of the Spirit by embracing together the new multilingual, multicultural, international family of God. 
coming here. This is our responsibility to uh, do what Israel was always intended to do, which was to be a a light on the hill, a city uh, set apart for the nations to come together so that uh, we cannot rule over them, but rather rule under to serve and to give and to sacrifice for their well-being. Many migrants this morning find themselves wondering, how did I end up here? And maybe you can relate as well. I'm aware after talking with many of you that uh, some of you have no idea how you ended up in the city of Denver. You didn't choose to be here. It almost felt like uh, life drove you to this place. Some of us came here trying to make a great name for ourselves, hoping to find the proverbial gold in the mountains that they have to offer. And uh, some of us just came to escape, to numb out, to enjoy the winter weather, not really, but maybe enjoy the snowboarding and the adventures outdoor. Maybe you just came to get a fresh lease on life. And if you moved here not knowing why you came here, you maybe, like me, certainly didn't expect to stay here as long as you have. You look up after one or two jobs, one or two apartments, one or two relationships, and boom, you're still in Denver. You've settled down. Well, if that's you, then I can relate. (laughs) Unlike most millennials from the southern U.S., I did not choose to move to Denver. I wasn't even on my radar. We had a zero intention and and didn't see Denver as part of my future. Uh, I I was born and raised in a city called Memphis, Tennessee, which by all accounts has a poorer quality of life than this city, but uh, it was my home. I was born and raised there and uh, for all intents and purposes, saw myself beginning a family and a life and a ministry in that place. Uh, I had an idealized vision of how my life might go. Anybody relate? And that vision included making a great name for myself in that town. And then boom, much like Babel, (laughs) God drove me away. He scattered my plans. He confounded my desires. He redirected my dreams. And I did not like it, not one bit. (laughs) Kara and I moved here in the summer of 2019. And I think it was sometime in the fall of 2020, I told Kara, I hate living here. I hate this city. I can't stand it. I wish we had never moved. That was a fun night. (laughs) As painful as that conversation was, I began to realize that what I really hated was the heartache. What I really hated was being redirected. What I really didn't like was the deconstruction that God was doing in my own heart and soul, reconfiguring and reconstructing my disordered desires, my selfish ambition, and my vain deceit. What I learned from that time of disillusionment and disappointment is that God will frustrate your plans in order to fulfill his purpose. And thank God that he did. Because I now love this city. I love my friends. I love our church. I love you. God has been so good and so kind to the Hambrick family, but it took that process of deconstruction to show me that my plans needed to be frustrated in order for God's purposes to be fulfilled. So as someone on the other side of the scattering, (laughs) I just want to encourage you this morning. If you feel this morning like the Jenga tower of your life has toppled over, 
If you feel like the building blocks of your identity, your relationships, your career, your health, your finances have been scattered to a million pieces, and worst of all, you feel like God is the one who knocked your tower down. I want to warn you this morning, he might just be responsible. He may be reproving you, but he also, take heart, my friends, might just be redirecting your life, refining you, renewing you, bringing you into a place that you didn't want to dwell. But he says, as he tells the exiles in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29, yeah, I have a plan for your life. Yeah, I want to prosper you. Yeah, I want to give you a hope in a future. But first, I want you to seek the welfare of the city because in, in its welfare, you will find your own. Not to make your name great, but to make his name great. God will frustrate our plans if it means fulfilling his purpose. And the only way you can stop fighting that frustration you feel inside about the way that your life is going is to begin accepting God's new purpose for your life. It's only through embracing the trial and the task. This is something that Abram realized so well. Abram realized that being scattered is sometimes a disguise for being sent says in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In the call of Abram, we see a command, a purpose, a process, and a result. A command, a purpose, a process, and a result. Uh, The command is clear. Go. My pastor back home used to say that uh, two-thirds of God's name is go. (laughs) Which, (laughs) God bless him, that's bad exegesis. But it's good theology. And the call to go is twofold. Uh, First, it was to leave from his land, his family, his father's house. And uh, brothers and sisters, it's hard to articulate today in our highly individualized 21st century culture how radically countercultural this would have been. This was a call to forsake all. A call to give up his livelihood, his descendants, and his inheritance. Uh, If you're familiar with the New Testament, Jesus tells the story of this prodigal son who uh, took the father's inheritance and went away. That's kind of what Abram is doing in this story, being bidden by God to do, to leave and go to a new land. To leave from his family and to go to a land that God will show him. This too was a task, a trial, a challenge of living as a wandering nomad in a tent for the rest of his days. The purpose, though, was quite clear. It was to make Abram and his family into a great nation. The people of Babel sought to make their name great, but now God promises to Abram, I will make your name great. I will bless you so that you are blessed to be a blessing so that you're blessed to be a conduit of life and resource and vitality to other people. And I'll do this through a two-part process, it says in verse 3, by blessing those who bless you and by cursing those who curse you. As a result, 
in the end, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by your family. It's hard to underestimate how massively influential of a figure Father Abraham is. Uh, the three major world religions of today, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all trace their heritage back to this man in Genesis chapter 12. And as powerful as this promise is, I, I couldn't help but feeling this week that uh, this promise is not without pain and difficulty. Scenes on the news this week depict the absolute devastation taking place right now in the Holy Land, in Palestine, during the Israel-Hamas war. There is not time today to speak directly to these attacks, but suffice to say, God cares for all people in the Middle East, his children especially. And all violence and war, in the name of religion especially, is absolutely antithetical to the New Testament ethic of Jesus' kingdom of love, justice, mercy, and peace. So I want to challenge us this week, regardless of your political persuasion, to take time. I'm telling you, block it off on your calendar. Pray for Israel. Pray for Palestine. Pray for peace. Pray for all of God's people in the Middle East. Uh, in a powerful article uh, writing about the conflict in the Holy Land, Palestinian theologian Munther Isaac says this. I realize this is controversial, so bear, bear with me. Uh, he, he says, Christians must remember that the people of the land are just as important as the land itself. Christians who visit the land must have a connection not just with old stones of old churches, but more importantly, with the living stones of the land. The community of faith in the land is what makes this land, as indeed any other land, holy. We have seen for centuries now how, uh, despite their best efforts, Israel has failed to fulfill God's original call to become a place of blessing. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk, writing almost seven centuries before the birth of Christ and during the exile in Babylon, would say, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? Sound like the Tower of Babel? <laughs> that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Where Babel failed, even where our brothers and sisters, our fellow uh, spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham have failed, Christ has fulfilled. Because in Babel, the people of the world were scattered across the face of the whole earth because they sought to make a great name for themselves. But in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said to his disciples, and he still tells his disciples today, just as he told Abram, go into all the world, baptizing them, not in your name, but in my name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. We move from a table to a tower to a trial and a task to all the way in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there this morning. But on the day of Pentecost, uh, the people are gathered together in an upper room and the Holy Spirit of God comes down. And we see the curse of Babel reversed as the Holy Spirit begins to uh, prophesy and fall upon men and women so that they're prophesying and dreaming dreams. And uh, Paul and Peter record in the book of Acts 
that uh, there were people gathered from all over the earth. There were uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Livia, Cyrene and Rome, Cretans and Arabians. And uh, we don't quite see it, but if we were to read between the lines of this text, we would know that these are the exact same tribes that are mentioned back in Genesis chapter 10 in the table of nations. And so what the nations has failed to do, now the spirit of God empowering the church begins to descend and he actually disperses them over the face of the earth so that the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We are a part of this great miracle of Pentecost. We're at Babel. God confounded the builders so that they could not hear one another. Now, Basil of Caesarea says Pentecost was both a miracle of speaking and a miracle of hearing. So that now we can speak and hear and embrace other cultures that don't look like our own. Other people who don't speak the language that we do. We can come together under our one new humanity in Christ Jesus. And when we do, we will see that day in Revelation chapter 7 that says, After this, I saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We're moving from Babylon to the city to come. We're seeking a great city in this church. Just in this hallway, we have a quote by Tim Keller that reads, uh, don't seek a great church, seek a great city. And we're seeking the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem that is to come, where uh, there will be a tree in that city that springs up and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And so right now, my brothers and sisters, regardless of our uh, political loyalties, regardless of uh, what news cycle we choose to tune into, we can become an embodiment of the future new Jerusalem right here and now by welcoming all people from all nations and all tongues and tribes so that God may be glorified in our midst. Amen? Come on.